Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Ben Foster. Ben is a well-established product management and design executive and thought leader with over 20 years of experience in the tech industry. He recently joined as the chief product officer at Whoop, working with his team to unlock human performance. In September 2020, he co-authored the book, Build What Matters, which describes the visionary product approach he applies in his day-to-day work as a leader at Whoop. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because I think I know probably a hundred people that use a Whoop band. So to get to speak to somebody actually at the company that can give us some insights and share kind of the story is really exciting for me. So I'm really excited to hear how you ended up at Whoop. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting story because it has a couple of different chapters to it. Uh, so I recently joined as the chief product officer just about two months ago. This was in July of 2020. However, the reason that I joined Whoop eventually uh, was because I'd been involved with the company for such a long period of time as an advisor. So uh, when I left another company called Opower back in 2014, after we took that company public, I ended up doing a lot of advisory type work with a whole host of different startups. And one of those startups was Whoop, you know, it was the very early days of the company. And so I was, in, I was involved in the company from kind of like some of the, the earliest points where we were trying to work on the Gen 1 version of the device. Uh, and so I got to know some of the co-founders of the company, whether it's Will Ahmed or John Capodilupo, and had a great opportunity to work with them and learn a lot about what the company was about and really what made the product you know, really different and, and what was sort of like special about it. So I advised the company on all kinds of things, whether it was algorithm design or product design, et cetera, and got to work with some amazing, super smart people. So I was an advisor for about a four-year period, but I had my own uh, other agenda as well, and I wanted to get back into sort of like the world of product, uh, product development on my own. And so I ended up going to a couple of different companies during that, that period. And when I decided to leave the last company that I was at, I just knocked on Will's door and said, hey, you know, is, is this a good kind of like match? And because of all the work that we had done together previously, we both kind of knew what we were getting into and thought that the match would be perfect. So the timing for the company was perfect and the timing for me was perfect. And the rest is history. Well, that's really interesting. What is an advisory role consist of? Like, what were your responsibilities? How often did you meet with the team? What type of time commitment was that? Yeah, you know, a lot of advisory roles are very different from one another. So it varies a lot from company to company. But at Whoop, it was fairly deeply involved, I would say. So I was talking with members of the product team at Whoop for probably several hours a week uh, for a long period of time, for for a few years. And so it was a combination of of different things that we would talk through. So sometimes we'd have strategic decisions to make or go, no go decisions on new directions for the product. There were design consultations that we had where we were trying to design a new feature and we wanted to design it with a lot of behavioral science in mind, because we know that if at the end of the day, we can get 
consumers or you know users of the platform to change their behaviors in a way that actually makes them more healthy then everybody kind of like wins out of that and so we were looking at how do we design these in such a way that it would have the maximum impact for the for the customer base so there was you know design uh work there were strategic kind of conversations there was a lot of mentorship of individuals as well you know you have people who are relatively young who started the company and you know to, to some extent if i'm in a position as an advisor where i've been around the block a little bit and I can kind of like help the company to see around corners. And that's something that, you know, I can provide a lot of value to the company based upon. Right. Like you've learned from mistakes that then they don't have to make and you can share that insight and kind of give them the short, you know, the short way or work around instead of having to learn from the school of hard knocks, like many of us have. (laughs) Um, Exactly. like that, 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 that's, such, that's such the right way of looking at it. You know, it's like you, you go through all those mistakes yourself and, and there have been plenty, I'll tell you. Um, but, you know, you go through those yourself and, and there's this, you know, notion in, in agile development of, you know, fail fast. And my perspective on that is the very fastest way to fail is to, you know, piggyback on the failures of other people and go directly to the, <laughs> you know, to the, to the right answer. And I think that, you know, in sharing some of those stories and some of those experiences, from my own career back with Whoop, it helped them to kind of fail fastest to get to the right answer as quickly as possible. Yeah. And actually, before we started recording, I just spoke with a former mentor of mine, the former chief operating officer for Crunch. And he was talking about, you know, promising that he was going to fail. And he always promises people that he's going to fail. And he said, if I don't fail, that means I haven't gone full throttle enough. And I haven't been really pushing the limits and failure is just a part of the process. And there's no shame in that. And then sharing, you know, that failure with other people to lead them to victory and success is just a win-win for future clients or projects that you're working on. Ben, can you share a little bit about your book, Build What Matters. I'd love to hear more about your philosophy for product approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could probably talk about this for days, so I'll try to give you the very short version of it. Um, Really, the book was born from the advisory work that myself and my co-author, Rajesh Nurlikar, had done as part of the advisory practice that I had created after I left Opower. So in that time period of about six years, the two of us had worked with about 70 different companies of all different sorts, you know, whether that was B2B SaaS or enterprise companies or consumer mobile apps, Whoop obviously being a good example of this as well. So what we wanted to do was kind of share all the things that we learned. You know, we, we got into advising because we wanted to teach, but it's amazing how much you learn in the process, in the process of trying to do that. And as we started to see all these data points of these different kinds of companies, we started to, to recognize these patterns of what drove success within product teams and, and what drove failure within some of those product teams as well. And we tried to encapsulate that into a book. And so the whole orientation around this and, and the whole premise of the book and, and the first part of it is to say, look, there are all these kind of common dysfunctions that you see within product management, things where either product management operates as an ivory tower or where they're, you know, taking almost like the opposite approach and just trying to like, you know, use their role to appease as many internal stakeholders as they can without thinking instead about what's actually right for the customer. So, you know, we sort of catalog these as like the top 10 dysfunctions of product management. And then we try to kind of unify them and say, they're not just 10 different things and you need to kind of like defend against each of these different kinds of like issues. We try to like, you know, unify them and say, there's actually one really major commonality here, which is they're filling a void and the void that they're filling is one in which there's a lack of product direction. There's a lack of vision or strategy that product management has established 
for the rest of the company to really be like a product driven organization. And so the rest of the book is really all about how you go about doing that. And the sort of the methodologies that we've used and that we've kind of like, you know, had as, as tried and true mechanisms for establishing that vision and that strategy, getting the rest of the company on board. And then the last part of the book is how in a very practical manner, you go about putting those things in place. Ben, listen, one of my biggest problems that I have right now with just fitness technology and everything that's happening right now and just the kind of noise in the space is that I think consumers are kind of getting overwhelmed with data and they don't necessarily know how to digest it. It's like, okay, I know that I did 15,000 steps. What does that mean? Can I still work out later? Do I bypass my workout? Is that like the minimum requirement? Do I have to get that same amount of steps as like other people? I have no idea, you know, what to do with my sleep data or any of that. Like I can gather all of this data, but I have no idea how to understand it. And I think that Whoop solves this problem. Can you explain to the audience how that happens? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, I think your premise is 100% right, which is there's so much data floating around in the world today. You know, capturing data is, is sort of like more the commodity, right? Like, I think that's the relatively easy thing to do. And, you know, whether it's a Whoop strap or some other, you know, wearable device or anything else in your life. I mean, you can get a bunch of data about emails you send and, and, and anything else. Why does it matter? What, what are you going to do with the data? That's kind of like the really critical question that I think, you know, people need to ask. And it's almost, it, it seems like you're doing more by presenting more data, but you're actually doing less. Like there's, there's a need to edit that down and there's a need, that, like a need to kind of like tease out the real insights that are meaningful and that are actionable for people so that they can get the biggest kind of benefit from the data. The data by itself is kind of like useless. What you do with the data is critical, but the thing that gets in the way is exactly what you said, that, that sort of overwhelming nature of everything where you can just kind of you know, go into these deep dives and keep kind of double clicking on every single thing. And eventually it's just sort of like realize that you're completely lost. And so I think what separates Whoop from a lot of the other products is we really do capture way more data than anybody else. But it's not that we just sort of regurgitate that back to our members. What we try to do is distill that into meaningful insights and use the data to clarify some of the relationships that maybe members themselves are not even necessarily aware of between their sleep their recovery, their strain, et cetera. And then use that at the end of the day to provide coaching and guidance so that it, you know, after months or weeks of using the platform, you as a member can start to actually see the impact that your decisions and that your workout regimen and things like that are having on your body, given the goals and, and interests that you had in mind in the first place. So I think it's just so important to, to separate those two things of like data is one thing, insights and, and sort of like advice that's meaningful and, and useful and relevant is something that's very, you know, completely different. And it's the lazy approach to basically just kind of like, you know, dump the data back in front of the, the consumer rather than actually providing them the things that, that they really need at the end of the day. Right. And I love what you just said, but one thing really caught my attention and that's that you referred to the people in your community or the Whoop community as members and not as users. Many technology companies refer to the the you know the person wearing the device as a user so i think that kind of speaks to your business model which is a membership business model so can you share a little bit about why you decided to create a membership 
Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I, I got the beat down, I would say, for the first two weeks of my employment at Whoop, where I was I was making that mistake, uh, and just out of habit was uh, referring to, to the people using the product as, as users. And, you know, the CEO, Will, was like, you know, Ben, there are members. And, you know, we, we want to refer to them that way, whether we're talking about it externally, uh, you know, on a podcast, or that we're talking about it internally within the company, that members, members, members. And I think that he's 100% right on that. And, you know, even looking back two months later, it's even changed my own orientation around this because really what Whoop is about selling is a membership, not sort of like the usage of a particular device. You know, it's easy to sell a device and, and have, you know, you get all the revenue from it, right? The, the, the consumer buys it, they try it on, they become absorbed with it for some period of time. And then they kind of find that it becomes like, let's say, boring or uninteresting or whatever. They, they tuck it into a, a drawer somewhere and it sits there for the next couple of years. Well, in those situations, that company still succeeded, right? Because they sold you the device. They got all their revenue, whether you actually use the product on a regular basis, or you're actually getting value in an ongoing basis from that product. Whoop, we, you know, we wanted to take a very different approach. And so we sell this as a membership where, you know, there isn't an upfront cost for the device. Yes, you do need to commit for a, you know, a length of time that ensures that we're not going to lose our shirts by giving you what is really a fairly like expensive product. Um, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to align our own business outcomes with the success and failure of our customers as well. And so that we're sort of like in this together. And I think that's a really powerful kind of like message there because I use that to drive some of the decisions within my own team to make sure that they understand that this is not about, you know, just growth or just sort of like selling more devices to the next person. This is about making sure that on an ongoing basis permanently that our, that our members are getting value from the product, um, you know, regularly. And, you know, if, if our, our, uh, if our members don't retain, if they decide to stop paying us, you know, on a, on a given month, then that's a failure of us. And we should probably be punished as a company for that. If on the other hand, they're getting a lot of value from this, then we sort of, you know, want to align ourselves with that as well. And I think it's, it's sort of a better solution, not just because, you know, investors like recurring revenue and everything else, but because it actually really forces us to think about things from our own uh, members point of view and ensure that we're making decisions that are in their best interest over the long run. Right. And when you talk about value, one way to keep a, a member's uh, value high is by increasing their experience or improving their experience. And one way that I think Whoop does that is by Whoop teams. So you're using the competitive nature of people and getting them to kind of motivate each other. And I've definitely see people, former colleagues of mine, we're in a group together and we're always like up on each other's yeah. stats and razzing each other. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I, I think that when, when you have a membership in place, you start to ask yourself these questions internally of, you know, obviously we do want to keep our members uh, retained for as long as we can. You know, I want everybody to stay with Whoop forever. So we have to make sure that it's an engaging experience for them on a regular basis. And we sort of categorize what's currently kind of like teams and leaderboards as a subset of what's a larger strategy around community. And the more that people feel attached, not just to Whoop as a brand or as a wearable device, they happen to be getting some you know, coaching and guidance from on a regular basis. But they also think about it as a true membership where they're, you know, in this with other people and they can collaborate with them and they can uh, compare themselves, you know, to, to other folks with those leaderboards. Um, that makes for a more compelling and sort of like engaging and inspiring experience as well, right? 
So those are things that, we're, that we actively try to invest in to ensure that people feel a, a, a connection you know, to the other members that are there. And sometimes you know, we find a lot of people who are extremely motivated by these kinds of things. You know, they create a, like a, uh, their own team, they invite their friends to it, they compare themselves on strain, et cetera, and they're having sort of like all these different kinds of conversations um, with one another about, you know, wow, that's a really great strain score given the recovery that you had today. Or, you know, wow, you might want to take a break here. And so sometimes it's competitive, but sometimes it's actually like, you know, uh, mutually beneficial when people can bounce ideas off of each other and share data with one another and, um, and start to learn from one another about what, what makes them successful. So for example, you know, when you compare yourself to some elite athlete and you're looking at like, let's say the, you know, the EF team at the Tour de France or something like that, you can see that they're having these outrageously intense days, you know, cycling. And that at the same time, they're finding a way through their, um, you know, through their rest and through their sleep to generate these sort of like high quality recovery scores so that they're ready to go again the next day. And that's sort of like a thing about how you are competitive within cycling. Um, but that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of other members of the product would love to get insights about. And so having that sort of like ability to compare stats with other members and then understand what they're doing and be able to kind of like piggyback off of the things that they've learned and that they're willing to share is extremely valuable for members as well. And so, you know, the, the product direction that we aim to go at is to invest a lot more into that community to make sure that we kind of like build up those relationships between people to ensure that there's that ongoing engagement. Right. And I love that WHOOP, you know, really highlights the importance of recovery because, you know, in this day and age, I think we, we're coming kind of off the cuff of like the super intense, like power lifting, boot camp, hardcore, like break your bones, sweat, shred calories, et cetera. Um, and people just work out so hard, but then they don't understand the importance of recovery. And what does recovery mean? It's not just, you know, taking a 15 minute, um, you know, rest period after your workout, what does true recovery mean? And how do you know when you're recovered and ready to hit the next workout hard and how hard should you hit your next workout? So I love that Whoop provides that data. And I also feel like when I'm using Whoop, I'm, you know, my data is protected, that it's used for my benefit as opposed to using that data to try to sell me another product in the future. Do you have any thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, well, the, the, you know, I'll, I'll note one thing on, on the first part of what you said there, uh, which is that, you know, focusing on recovery doesn't mean being weaker in terms of strengthening or improving, right? In fact, we, we try to like really make a big point about this, which is that, you know, consider, consider weightlifting, right? Like in the very beginning, you can lift a much higher weight and you can do more reps. And as you continue to do more and more reps, you actually get not stronger, but weaker, right? So, you know, working out doesn't strengthen you. What strengthens you is the recovery that you get from the workouts that you've already done. And I think this is an important part for any given consumer to really, you know, have an appreciation of whether they're using Whoop or anything else is that, you know, it's, it, it's human growth hormone that your body produces while you're in slow wave sleep at night that regenerates, uh, you know, muscle that's been torn during you know, during workouts and things. So if you want to strengthen, if you want to condition, if you want to improve, recovery is a critical element to this whole thing. And in fact, it's actually kind of like the primary driver of what gets you those kinds of outcomes. Now, some people are using Whoop because they really care about their health and they want to wake up, um, you know, feeling really refreshed every day. And so recovery can be beneficial for looking not only at whether you're getting the kind of results that you're looking for from a performance standpoint and from an improvement standpoint, 
but also just kind of like, you know, maintaining overall health. So it's been a sort of like a valuable score, I think, for a variety of reasons. And that's why we kind of, you know, color code it for people so that they have an appreciation of how to interpret those recovery scores. But it is sort of like, you know, noteworthy that it's just sort of like this missing piece of a lot of what wearables tend to track, but don't really pay sufficient attention to. And we've learned by the fact that we started with some of these more elite athletes and have since sort of like gone a little bit further and further down market that, you know, we've learned about what makes for smart workout and training programs and things like that. And recovery is absolutely one of those you know, key missing pieces. And in regard to, to your second point about data privacy, you know, we obviously would respect the privacy of all of our members. You know, you know, we talked about earlier the ability to kind of like within a team, you know, decide to join that team and share some of your numbers with other people. You know, that kind of thing is always going to be by choice. And we would never want to build a product in which people didn't have complete um, privacy and complete sort of like uh, security around their own data. Because, I mean, if you think about it, how much more private does your data get? <laughs> you know, if you look at some of the journal entry questions that we ask, uh, you know, on, on a daily basis to try to like understand how those behaviors influence your, uh, you know, your recovery and things like that. Those are some pretty personal type of questions. And if you look at the actual data that we're capturing, it's your, it's your actual heart rate and then the differences between each individual heartbeat and how long that is. There's a lot of interesting kind of insights embedded out of that, but those are very personal kind of like details. And so I think it's really critical that any company be very, very cognizant of the fact that, you know, that that data is incredibly personal and incredibly private and only to the extent that, uh, you know, that a member of, of, of our product or a user of somebody else's product would, would intentionally want to share that with another party, that that's the only time that that data is actually getting shared. I love that. Thank you so much for clarifying, Ben. So as the chief product officer, I'd love to hear kind of some of the iterations or versions of the Whoop that you've been through, because I know that you're on the third version now, right? So I'd love to hear what were some of the changes through the different versions, and then where do you see things headed in the future? I'm not expecting any trade secrets to be revealed, but what are some (laughs) things that you're looking into? Yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that I would love to talk to you about and, and probably can't. However, you know, I'll, I'll say the following in a, in a general you know, sense, which is, again, Whoop is selling a membership. And as part of that membership, we know that consumers' expectations are changing on a regular basis and they're going to be constantly evolving and, and consumers are going to want more and more from these products. And we feel that that's an important part of what we do for our members is to continue to innovate on their behalf. And whether that's, you know, software improvements or new modules of the app, or whether those are hardware upgrades, you know, that kind of like come down the road, we're going to be constantly investing in that arena. I, you know, I can't speak to anything about when, you know, future generations of devices and things like that might be available. Um, but the history of this is actually really interesting too. So, you know, gen, gen one of the Whoop device <laughs> and gen one of just about any product in a lot of ways is really almost like a proof of concept to some extent, right? So, you know, we were able to get the, uh, the LEDs and the photodiodes and things like that to, to measure, you know, your heart rate and to do a pretty good job with that kind of stuff. But the initial designs of it were ones in which all the data uh, was getting passed from the strap to the phone via Bluetooth, and it wasn't even sort of like Bluetooth low energy. And so what that, what that resulted in was just an enormous draw of power from the strap. And so if you wanna have a strap that's gonna last for a long time, which obviously we did, um, that was sort of the, the thing that I think was a on a regular basis. And for this product where the differentiator for it in a lot of ways is that it's worn 24 seven, 
you don't want to be sort of having to recharge the device on a, on a you know, very routine basis. So, um, so that was sort of, I, I think that the, the initial concept of the, of the product has been basically the same the whole entire way through. You know, we, we basically measure, you know, through light sensors, uh, what your heart rate looks like and, you know, other kinds of nuanced little details about your heart and which all this sort of like additional data is effectively encoded. But battery life was a major issue early on. And so the future generations of the Whoop strap were really all about kind of making that better and better. So the first generation, I think, if I recall, was maybe 28 hours. It's just sort of over a day. The second generation was two days. And the generation that we're on right now is about a five-day battery life. So, um, you know, that really helps quite a bit because you don't have to think about it as much. We really want the, the device itself to either be cool or completely sort of like passive, right, where you don't have to like really think about it. And having to charge it on a regular basis is a way of, of having to think about that device. So, you know, we, we've kind of, you know, made it smaller and, and more, um, you know, efficient the whole way through. Um, we now uh, do a lot of the processing uh, within the strap itself that, that kind of like limits how much data needs to be passed back and forth between the strap and the phone. And so there's a lot of interesting innovations that, you know, I think on the technical side probably don't mean that much to consumers. But if you think about the end result of like, hey, the thing lasts for a really long time hey, the thing is waterproof, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Those are the kinds of things that, that consumers uh, understand and appreciate. And those are the kinds of, you know, reasons that we've made all these investments in all kinds of technical sophistication behind the scenes to make that possible. That makes a lot of sense. And thanks so much for sharing that and breaking it down for, hey, the device is now has an extended battery life. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's something I can easily understand. <laughs> So Ben, can you share with us why Whoop decided to go into the apparel space? And also why did Whoop decide to work with other brands instead of just having it be Whoop branded gear? For example, you have a partnership with Roan, you have a partnership with Alala. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yep. but why yep. did you decide to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, it's really a reflection of what our uh, members were interested in. I mean, we have a, a huge number of members who absolutely love Whoop. And when you think about how fitness fits into their lifestyle, you know, et cetera, these are people who are using Whoop on a daily basis, multiple times a day. They're kind of living their life in, a many, in many ways off of Whoop. And anytime that you have, you know, just think about your own, your own lifestyle, right? I mean, you know, you have why do people put stickers on top of their cars for, you know, an, like an Apple logo and things like that? It's because it's become part of their own identity and it's a part of their identity that they want to share with their friends and family. And, and it's something that, that makes them feel good to wear. And so what we wanted to do was to give our members an opportunity to wear whoop, you know, to, to expose on the outside, how they feel about it on the inside. So I think that there was a great um, opportunity for us. And obviously there's a business benefit of us, you know, selling additional soft goods in addition to, um, you know, the, the straps themselves and the membership. Um, so, you know, it's sort of like a win-win in, in both of those regards. So that's kind of like why we got into the sort of like the apparel business as well. You know, I don't think it's ever going to be a substitute for our, um, you know, for our Whoop membership, but it's a great extension to it and a great way to kind of expose that, I think, to, um, you know, to, to other people. And it's a great advertising kind of opportunity for us too, right? So there's sort of like a, a bunch of reasons that that made sense. In terms of partnering with other, uh, with other brands, you know, I think you can look at it as, as twofold. One of them is that there's a distribution component to this and some people already have a really high allegiance to a particular brand of apparel. And so if they're able to, you know, manufacture new uh, lines of their product and things like that that can carry a Whoop logo on it, 
then we sort of get the, the benefit in both regards, right? You know, if you're already buying a lot of products from Roan and, and you know that they have really high quality, uh, you know, merchandise available, then that's going to make you feel a lot more confident in buying, you know, apparel that's, you know, on the Whoop website as a Whoop logo. If you know that the manufacturer of that is, uh, you know, gener- you know, creates really high quality merchandise. So it's sort of like a win-win in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we'll continue to invest in. And I would expect that over time, we'll find more and more of those kind of like opportunities for Whoop and more and more ways in which our members can experience the sort of, you know, the, the brand of Whoop outside of just sort of like the app itself. Okay, my last question here is, have you guys seen an increase in business because of the COVID situation? I just feel like a lot of the tech side of fitness really took off. Has it impacted your business at all? Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting kind of dynamic. There, There's a couple things that I'll point to. You know, one is that we expected it early on to be a negative impact to our business. And we, you know, tried to be very conservative, like a lot of companies did, right? I mean, you know, you sort of see what the impact is to the economy early on in the March timeframe. And so we ratcheted down some of our expectations. And it turns out that that was exactly the opposite (laughs) of what we should have expected to have happen. And so we've seen, you know, not only our growth kind of like, you know, be maintained over this time period, but in fact, actually expand a little bit as well. And I think that, you know, there, there's a couple of different reasons that you might point to on that. And, and certainly we find some, you know, members who, who join Whoop because they want to monitor, you know, their, their own sort of like, you know, health in a way that they, they want to make sure that, that they're healthy. Now, you know, I'll say that Whoop is not a medical device. So to be really clear about that. Uh, however, you know, we do have things like we, we built the ability for you within the app to see what your respiratory rate is. And there are some really interesting kind of patterns that, that emerge where if your respiratory rate, you know, seems to be like a 13, a 13, a 13, and then it jumps to a 16, you know, it might be a reason that you, that you might want to, you know, kind of take a look at, um, you know, your overall health. It could be, for example, a sign that you're sick. And, and we've seen a few situations um, where, uh, where people have told us those stories back, you know, where they say, you know, I, I was monitoring my, um, you know, my respiratory rate and I found out that it spiked up. I went to go see a doctor and it turns out that I had COVID or, um, you know, we see the same kind of thing happen with, with various things on, on heart rate. So while it's not a medical device, we've seen some interesting kind of like, you know, reasons that people have decided to get a membership that, you know, you might think of COVID as being a trigger for some of those. I personally think that that's actually a very lightweight component of it though. And that a lot of the growth is really just a matter of, you know, you, you change the fact of, of how people are living their lives today and the kinds of things that they choose to focus on. You know, when you remove two hours a day of commute time in a car, suddenly that time gets recovered and now you're in a position to be able to work out more, right? And you want to start to pay attention to your health a, a bit better. And so I think a, the, in many ways, a, a little bit of the spike that we've seen uh, because of the sort of like COVID timeframe that we're in is really just a matter of a refocus on those things that are really important to people in their lives. Now that they have a little bit more time and a little bit more ability to kind of like concentrate on it. And so, you know, that's where we end up being a, a really good match for those people who say, you know, I'm now motivated to, to go, you know, either shave, you know, uh, uh, 30 seconds off of my mile, or I'm motivated to lose a certain amount of weight, or I'm motivated um, to just be, you know, live a much healthier life and, and hold myself accountable for the decisions that I make on a regular basis, whether that's bedtime or drinking alcohol or anything else. So, um, you know, I think COVID has been sort of a benefit to Whoop overall. But we were already on a pretty strong growth curve prior to COVID, and I wouldn't attribute 
in a lot of ways, like the, the sort of like growth that we've seen during this period to COVID itself, it's more something that's kind of carried through, but had started, you know, well in advance. Right. And that makes sense. And I do think that right now, the general public, I mean, just coming from the fitness industry, obviously, like the people that I've, you know, my colleagues and people that I, I've surrounded myself with already were using Whoop because they were kind of, you know, they're always looking to kind of get that competitive edge. And that's just the kind of personalities that are actually in the fitness business. But then, you know, I think this whole COVID situation woke up the general public to, hey, you know, your health and fitness is a priority now more than ever, you know, in increasing immunity. And, and, and also another layer to that is, you know, to speak to your point about lowering the commute time. I'm one of those people that eliminated two to three hours a day of commuting time. However, I've also been sitting down now more than ever before in my entire life. So getting that data can keep me active and understanding, yeah. okay, like I'm, you know, I'm spending a little too much time recovering, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's get moving. Girl. Um, so I think it's really helpful. Um, ben, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, share all of your insights with the audience, share a little bit more about Whoop's mission, where you've been, where you're headed. If somebody's listening to this and they want to connect with you, find out more about your book, Build What Matters, or more about Whoop, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So number one, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you, you know, my, my LinkedIn handle is just Ben Foster, pretty easy to find. Um, you can also email me. Uh, I'm always happy to kind of like, you know, take emails and, and respond to people's questions and things like that. Um, uh, you know, so I would say on, uh, for, for things related to the book or sort of like product management and product strategy in general, um, the email that I have that's associated with the advisory practice that I had founded was uh, ben at prodify.group, P-R-O-D-I-F-Y dot group. Uh, and then my email at Whoop, I'll just go ahead and throw that out there as well. I, I welcome getting emails from, from members or people who are sort of like, you know, interested in this. You know, Whoop's always doing a ton of hiring as well. So um, my Whoop email address is ben.foster at whoop.com. Really simple. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you found value in this episode, I'd love it if you would please subscribe, review, and share this episode. It would really mean so much to me. I truly love connecting with fitness and wellness experts. So if you'd like to be on the show or are looking for help in your business, definitely drop me a line and connect with me. You can find me at hello at vanessaseveriano.com or my social media handles. Since my last name is not the easiest to spell, I'm going to go ahead and make it really easy for you and link my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode.